Welcome to the Text Lab. My name is Michael. I got Ryan here. Hey, Michael. Hey, Ryan is awesome. He's a professor slash MFT guy, like a lot of wisdom there. So we're excited to be here in this space doing the Text Lab, where we do a deep dive into the text to help you prepare for life groups this week. Our goal is to help you to make disciples who make disciples. So whether you're leading a life group or just trying to do some deep diving on your own, we hope the Text Lab helps you to have meaningful conversations about what God has said in his word. This week is John 3, 1 through 15. Let's get into it. And thanks, Michael, for having me. Let's get into the text. The text in chapter 3 says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again if they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to that which we have seen, but you, still you people, do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one ever has gone into heaven except for one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So good. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, this is a great carryover from last week's text. We really ended last week with that phrase that Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He knows everything that goes into our hearts, every intention of our heart. And that really sets up this next text. In fact, Ryan mentioned that like it doesn't actually start with now, it starts with and. So it's supposed to carry over. And the text that you're going to be in for Life Group tonight, for this night, is really one story. It's connected with 3, 1 through 21. So that's kind of what you should be thinking of as you're reading it. But what we're going to do is break up that text to really unpack the gravity of each section. So it may be helpful in life group to read all of 1 through 21, but it can't be separated contextually from one another. However, this text right here, we're focusing on the first part of this conversation before the most famous verse in the world is spoken to this rabbi that came to Jesus in the middle of the night. Yeah, Michael, and and I think it's really important to understand that this is actually, in the greater context of the book, one of the first of several encounters that Mm. we see. Jesus is going to encounter several figures. We have Nicodemus here, uh, but then he's going to encounter a Samaritan woman in chapter 4. He's going to encounter a Gentile official uh, later in chapter 4, and then a man at the pool of Bethesda, and that's not even all the encounters he has. Um, Really, when you look at these encounters, each character serves to be reflective of really the entire world that Jesus was ministering to. You have a religious official, Nicodemus, a religious outcast, the Samaritan woman, a Gentile, uh, somebody who's sick. So, you got to remember that this book is written to the whole world that Mm. they may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name, that thesis again. I love that perspective 
and especially the idea that John is really strategically selecting every single one of these characters. I love the intentionality and the purpose behind that. Um, and so with that being said, who is this Nicodemus? What, what do we know about him? What, what's going on for him? Well, the text actually tells us all we need to know. The text interprets the text. I mean, he was a Pharisee, you know. That means that he was part of a ruling class that really focused on strict interpretation and practice of Jewish law. Uh, It was a sect that only came about 40 years before Jesus had, had been born. And he's also noted as a ruler of the Jews, which means he was probably part of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling group of priests in Jerusalem. So really, Nicodemus represents the ruling class, the ruling establishment, of the nation of Israel. Yeah, and what's kind of interesting about him too is he holds very specific beliefs, right? Like he has a belief about what it means to be saved, a belief about what it means to be right, what it means to be good, what it means to live life. And this theme of belief is going to be very important in this text. It's really important for the whole book of John, right? I mean, that's the central thesis of the book is this question about belief and how it works. And so it's important for you guys as you have your conversation in this text to understand that the current Jewish belief about salvation in this moment is that salvation is tied to a matter of birth. Who's your daddy? Who's your mom? Like that's what defines who, what makes you right, what makes you in. There's a cultural association. Even if someone became a Jew, they were becoming a Jew to culturally associate with the Jewish people, and that was part of what made them saved. So Nicodemus is going to enter into this conversation about the kingdom of God with this lens of, I'm saved because of who I am. I'm saved because of who my parents are and my heritage. And Jewish people were selected just, frankly, partially because of luck, but because God willed it. So that's where the idea of belief is starting, and Jesus is going to dismantle that in this text. I got to say, are we going to have new shirts now that says, who's your daddy, that yeah. we're going to start who's wearing around daddy? the church? We could let those up. Those would be legit. Those would be good church. That would yeah. sell. Dad life is the rad life. That's, yeah. uh, that's good. Yeah, I like what you said there, too. And I think um, when you're reading this text with your life group, really focus. The, the author gives you the detail right off the bat that Nicodemus comes at night. That's good. And I think that that's actually kind of double meaning there. Number one, uh, there is a physical term to that. Like he's coming maybe at darkness. It's actually but I, dark. <laughs> yeah, it's actually dark. But there's also a metaphor. If you look at something like a John eleven ten, you can see a metaphorical use there uh, where it's also coming in a lack of understanding. And it really ties back to that whole theme mm-hmm. of light and dark that started in John chapter one. And, and that theme of whether you're going to believe and understand or not believe and understand. Are you going to be in the light, believe and mm-hmm. understand, or in the dark, not believe and understand. Yeah, and I've, I've heard you say before that the book of John is very much like this braided cord where there's these big meta themes that John masterfully weaves throughout the entire text. Light and dark is one of them. And then in this text specifically, we're seeing the idea of water and spirit, which is another meta theme. I mean, we're going to see it in Woman in the Well. We see it here with Nicodemus. But but maybe, Ryan, could you shed some light on that for us? Like, what what's so significant for the Jewish people about water and spirit? Yeah, I think it's really easy to also get confused with our modern Christian understanding and bring that into the text. But we have to remember this is an old Jewish text. Uh, so for this, for the Jews, the spirit, actually they thought the manifestation of God was experienced in the wind, like the physical presence of God was in the wind. And when the wind blew, it was as if the presence of God was there. So when you see the word spirit in, in the Bible, that actually also means wind. Uh, so it's... 
in verse 8, it's really actually saying, it says in the English text, the wind blows. It's really better to understand it as the spirit blows where it wishes. Mm. Uh, and the spirit of God was there in Genesis chapter 1, just hovering over the water. So the idea here is that the one is born of the spirit doesn't mean like a spiritual birth. It mm. means that one, one born by the will of God, um, by this presence of God. And water, water really was used in in matter of cleansings and cleansing rituals, there was actually baptisms already happening. To become a Jew, if you were not a Jew, you'd have to be baptized in what's called a proselyte baptism, where you would clean your Gentileness. To become mm-hmm. a Jew in Jesus' day, you had to commit to living the, the entire Torah and then cleanse yourself from your Gentile ways by being immersed in water. And so water was really this idea of cleansing. And so what Jesus is saying by being born of spirit and water is being born by the will of God and by the cleansing of the proselyte baptism by that water. That's super helpful to know, especially for you guys as you're leading discussion, because this text is one of the most common proof texts for all kinds of varieties of I mean, I don't know if we'll call them heresies, but let's call them misinterpretations of the text where they want to take this and build almost a whole theology over it. You got to be born of water. You have to be baptized to be saved, to be in the kingdom. Like people go here for some of those misinterpretations, but that's not really what John's getting at at all. It's not what Jesus is doing in that conversation. So that's important to know. Water and spirit, light and dark. And the last big important background thing you guys should be aware of is that this text is steeped in some very key Old Testament references, namely one from Daniel 7 and Numbers 21. Ryan, what's going on with the uh, Daniel 7 reference? I got to tell you, the Daniel 7 reference is probably the number one reference that Jesus will use about himself. So it is so critical to understand Daniel 7, to understand Daniel, uh, to understand Jesus. And that's Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And that's the picture of this human being coming up to the throne of God to be enthroned as king over the whole universe or over the nations, it says in Daniel Mm. 7. And that's what uh, Jesus is referencing when he says one comes up like the son of man. What about uh, Numbers? Yeah, Numbers is actually uh, maybe my favorite of the two, not because of the theological significance, but because of the uh, comedy of the story. Yeah. <laughs> like Numbers is, is great. If you go and you read Numbers 21, 4 through 9, it's actually probably worth doing with your group uh, because it'll help cast light onto what Jesus is referencing when he says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent, like lifted up the staff. There's an important reference there. So if you go back and read it, it's really good because you see all these like snakes that get led out against the people. People are getting bitten. They start dying. And then the way they're saved is not because they got rid of the snakes, not because they were like given some sort of antidote. It's because they literally had to look to a staff that had a snake on it. I mean, the level of allegorizing that happens here is so deep that think about it. Like the things that's killing them is on this stick that's raised up that they look at. Jesus, when he comes, he is literally a picture of our sin that's been put on him, right? Like he's the picture of the thing that's killing us. Our sin is killing us. And it's raised up for us to look at to save us on a stick, on a cross. Like, come on. Like you can't, you can't look at this and not just have your mind blown at how intentional God was, even in this story in numbers to tie it into what Jesus does. So super key that you understand that. Uh, I'd recommend reading it with your group. We've got a question on that later, but look, That was a lot of background information, I know, but it's going to help us get to the big idea because these... This text, like Ryan was saying, is is so embedded in its context that if we just read through it, we would miss some of these key things. But each one of these things 
points to the big idea. So for some guiding questions in this text, remember, you got those three that you can always use in your back pocket. What happened? Why here? What does John want us to know, feel, or do? You can use those to navigate through. But Ryan, what would be something that is maybe a little bit more pointed to help us get to the big idea? Yeah, I think one of the first questions you have to ask yourself, the big idea really is this encounter between Nicodemus Mm. and Jesus. Nicodemus represents people. Nicodemus and the Jews believed that by being born a Jew, uh, by by their heritage, that's where salvation came from. It was a belief that was getting in the way of Nicodemus seeing Jesus. Uh, How is what Jesus saying about how salvation comes different? How is that different than what Nicodemus says? I think that'll help you a lot. That's a good one. Yeah. How is that different from Nicodemus and what he believes? That's good. Another one would be uh, with your group throwing out, hey guys, let's read Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Read that together and then ask, what is Jesus, or, or sorry, rather, what is John saying Jesus is saying? That's key. About, yeah, it is. That's how you get to the good stuff, right? Because we actually care more about what John says about what Jesus said and how he wrote it than what Jesus said himself. I know that's weird. He's the and uncomfortable for you. But yeah, that's what we're doing in interpretation here. So what is John saying about how Jesus is referencing himself in Daniel 7 through 13? And by the same hand, you guys could go read Numbers 21, 4 through 9 as a group and ask, what is John doing again with Numbers when he's allegorizing this narrative in 3, 1 through 15? You may even want to look at each of the elements like we just did in the background info and ask your group, what do you think these different elements represent? The snakes, the serpents, the stick, the bronze serpents. Ask those questions and try to get to the heart of what, uh, of what it is that John is trying to get us to understand about Jesus's mission. Yeah. I think a last question that you can really consider is really the question that Nicodemus has to consider. Mm. What's the essential elements of belief? What do we essentially Good. believe in as opposed to all the other stuff? Right. And that question of belief is really where the big idea lands. Uh, if you look at all of John, it keeps tying back to belief. John twenty thirty one. right? These are written that you may believe, that's the operative verb, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so there's this meta question of where does salvation in the eternal kingdom come from? And here in 3, 1 through 15, as throughout the rest of John, the answer is salvation is going to come from looking to the Son. It's going to come from looking to Jesus. And so a simple way of phrasing it might be like the big idea is believe in Jesus and have life, like life to the full, life abundant. And he's tying it back to those key ideas of what it meant to really be saved. So what does believing even look like in this text? A lot of it comes to looking to Jesus, but Ryan, how could we take that idea of believe and have life, and then what's a good application question that we could ask of our groups? Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is so rich and thick, right? And and I hope at some point somebody throws something at us because we keep repeating the thesis because I want the thesis to get in there. Yeah. This is about belief, right? Yep. So important. Uh, and so I think really, for me, an application question um, comes down to what kind of crazy or common beliefs are in my world that are actually barriers to me seeing what Jesus is doing or believing in Jesus? What are some things that I may add uh, that isn't really essential to believing in Jesus. That's good. Yeah, I think for me personally, as I think about that question, like uh, some of the barriers that I think get put up for me is um, a lot of times I want to be like self-sufficient. 
Um, and even like all the, you know, all the self-help literature out there and the self-care literature and just like, you know, just do a little bit more for you on the inside and you'll be able to handle whatever you come up against. And I find myself sometimes believing more in, oh, my, you know, intellectual faculties or believing more in like, oh, my, my ability to be present with somebody or, oh, I'm believing more in, uh, in my skill or talent in a certain area, uh, as what's going to result in a good or a better life. I'm using air quotes. You can't see them, but a good life is going to come for me using the things that I am or the skills that I have. Um, but then what ends up happening is that becomes an idol in and of itself or a barrier because, um, even in the last, the last week, what we did with our, our youth team is we said, Hey, we want to take a day and like pick something to pray and fast for, for God to move in these students' lives. Not that you can coerce God with prayer and fasting, but that prayer and fasting reminds us that we're desperate and dependent for him. And so it's, I'm not desperate and dependent on my speaking ability, or I'm not desperate and dependent on how fun the game is or how good the worship is or how great Miss Cindy's snacks are for that night. Like we're desperate and dependent on God. And so it was a really cool opportunity for us all to kind of just lay that down and say, all right, where do we go for our need? And fasting really like, I feel like brings that into clear focus, but that's something that uh, that's been like maybe a barrier for me lately is, is trusting in myself more than trusting in God. Uh, what, what about you, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely relate to what you're saying too. And I think, I think one of the biggest challenges that I see or the barriers that I see is that we actually have access to more information than we ever have in the history of mankind. And we have more ability to see it. And a lot of times a barrier for me is, almost being overexposed to too many inform- to too much information <laughs> yeah. to too many too possible beliefs yeah, <laughs> yeah to too many good things um, i mean we have 24 access 24 hour a day access to anything that we want to know um, and it's almost like there's so much and i hate to even use this but fake news about mm. jesus yeah. and about faith and about belief um, that gets in my way and that I get confused and pulled in different directions. And sometimes I have to remember that really essentially God gave us everything that we need to know yeah. in God, in John's gospel, but also in his, in his word. Yeah. Those are definitely common barriers for sure. Like the things that are supposed to help us, like, you know, the internet helping us like access, like things like, Oh, I don't know. God's word can also be a barrier. It's crazy, man. You know, I mean, it makes me the smartest dad in the world because my kids always ask questions and I <laughs> yeah. just slightly Google it on the side, but it's also the greatest barrier because some yeah. of that's, it's not good. And we could get stuck in there. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny, I, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I think back to my dad and all the things that he told me growing up that were answers to things. Sometimes I wonder now in the 21st you know, century, I'm like, how much of that was uh, true? <laughs> was true. Anyway, you guys, uh, with that question of like, what are the barriers to belief? Something that's helpful in your group time might be to say, Say, hey, what's something you used to look to for the good life? Or what are things that you used to be barriers for you and, and now you look to Jesus? And what that does is it lets people kind of have a safe softball question of like, oh, yeah, when, when I was in college, I did this. Or when my kids were young, I did this. Or, oh, when I was in a teenager, I did this. But now I do this. And that's a good question to get it started. But we don't want to end there, right? So what, what I found is it's helpful to say, what is something right now? 
now that you're willing to admit that you've been looking to for the quote-unquote good life that's not Jesus? That's a more uncomfortable question, but what it does is it actually will lead to some better OST because uh, it makes us have to process in the moment where we're at. And that's that's really where we're trying to get with life groups, right? Like we want people to be growing in our faith. We want us as leaders to be growing in our faith. And uh, sometimes we can escape into things that happened versus being present in the right now of what is God doing now. So hopefully that encourages you guys this week as you prep for life group. And I encourage you as uh, leaders to come to your life group with a pre- with an answer already ready to go so that you can lead Um, because sometimes it can make uh, people uncomfortable, these really deep questions, but that question is so on point, Michael. I mean, that's good. That's Mm -hmm. ask that for sure. Yeah. If you model authenticity, it'll pave the way for authenticity. For sure. It's good. Well, thank you for spending your time with us. Our promise is that we're going to do our best to make time valuable for you, the leader. And we thank you for being leaders. If this helped you in any way, let us know. That's right. Whether you're at the gym, on the lawn, driving, whatever you like to do when you listen to podcasts, we hope that you as a leader feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the spirit lead you and know that you are the one who was sent this week into your group into your family, into your Pray Watch communities, wherever God invites you to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.